Welcome to Off Trail with Erie Metro Parks. My name is Mike, I'm your host, and today we are going to be talking about bird nerds. Say hello to Cheryl and Melissa. Hello. Hi, friends. Yeah. All right. So today we're talking about bird nerds. Um, I love birds. As you know, Cheryl also loves birds. I Melissa loves love birds, birds, too. I, I don't. I have a theory on why Melissa doesn't like birds as much as Cheryl and I do. <laughs> she she has it's her own not, theory, too. It's not <laughs> birds. It's birding. It's birding, which is a <laughs> verb. It is. It's a defined verb now. Took them a while to get into really? the dictionary. Oh, yeah. There's a book that came out. It's called um, it's called Birding, and it's a verb. Like it's, a actual, it's a great book, actually. Nice. So it's just an amateur naturalist writing about how he got addicted to birding, and that's usually what happens is. Did is you write you, this book? Yeah, I did not. I did not. <laughs> I wish. Um, but but it's just kind of, it kind of happens. Like I never intended for it to happen. It's not like I grew up birding with my grandparents or my dad or my mom or something. It just is a complete accident. A crayfish biologist did it to me. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So doesn't what makes sense <laughs> to you, know, right? to you, <laughs> Cheryl, what is a bird nerd? A bird nerd, just obsessed with birds. Okay. Want to know what they are, what their characteristics are, how to identify them, <laughs> where to find them. What do they sound like? What are their calls? What are their songs? Are you you're looking at me weird? <laughs> <laughs> Melissa, to you, what is a bird nerd? All those Michael things. Michael Hensley. <laughs> I, I'm obsessed someone, now. So it's someone who you can't even have a conversation with without them looking out of the corner of their eye to find a bird. Oh, right. so true. All right. I'm guilty then. 100%. 100% guilty. <laughs> so I will definitely um, allow, like, I could be having a, like, it could be a courtroom. I could be under oath. And if a bird flew through the room, my attention is gone. Like, it doesn't matter. Actually, anything that flies through the room, it could be an insect, too, and I'm done. Like, what is that? My favorite part of your videos is when you are trying to talk to the camera and do virtual programming. And out of the corner of your eye, you can see you looking and going, like, hang on, there's a bird. Right. Wait a minute. It's hard not to look and, like, always be... I mean, it's just, uh, right. it, and a part of it is, is because of where we live and where we're located. It um, is very special. When I was in West Virginia, like I didn't have nearly as many, like a rare bird was like a rare thing. Like now it's like anything can happen up here. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I used to think like in West Virginia, I, like, oh, I was, I'm a true, true bird nerd. And then I moved to North, Northern Ohio, done. Like everybody else overshadowed me, like made me like, oh my gosh, I, I'm not even on their level. Like when I got here, I remember you guys told me like, Mike, everybody's a birder. It's not just you. You're not the only person. You're like, what? <laughs> it, was a quick, it was a quick reality. Yeah, That's so. my specialty. That's <laughs> right. everybody else's specialty too. So, and then I always ask like, how did you get this way? Like Cheryl, how did it happen to you? How did birding really start to like, oh my gosh, like. I started to really, really like birds when I volunteered at Back to the Wild in Castelia. Um, just being around all of the birds, I needed 
to know everything about them because I did an event with them too. Mm-hmm. And my first event, I, I remember I taught about kestrels. There's like this little kestrel on a perch. And I knew a few facts, but I wanted to learn more about it. I need it. it it's just like that want to learn. Yeah. And then I was like, well, I learned about all this about this one bird. I can learn about all of them. So that's pretty much what started it. What about you, Melissa? Liking birds or birding? (laughs) Liking birds. Because you don't don't thoroughly enjoy birding as much. No, I don't love birding. Mainly because I grew up, my parents always went birding and they would drag us with them. And then... You know, as a little kid walking along the boardwalk at McGee is not the most thrilling way to spend four hours. Right. <laughs> My kids know how you feel. <laughs> yeah. Like, I I am the type of person that when I'm outside, I need to keep moving. So, like, standing still and waiting for birds to come to you and finding the little things, not my thing. Mm-hmm. Give me ducks and hawks and owls and I'll be happy. Um but yeah, mine's kind of the same. So I worked at Back to the Wild for like seven years and it was the funniest thing. When I first got that job, my dad's like, you're going to do what? Like you hate birds. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I know, but it'll be fine. Right. And then it was. So I love, this sounds probably really terrible, but I like getting attacked by hawks and stuff and when you can like wrestle down a bald eagle it's like the coolest feeling and you know that you were helping them and like Cheryl said learning so much about them because that's where a lot of my knowledge comes from so I I feel like I'm more of like a like a teacher educator rather than more of an interpretive naturalist so I know a ton of facts about the birds when we're out walking and stuff sometimes I have harder time like you guys are great at IDing bird calls and they just all sound the same to me (laughs) (laughs) so for me it was kind of weird I was in a field natural history class in college um, which was designed supposed to be designed towards um, herpetology Um, we were going to do um, in the spring our goal was to do uh, we had to do like small projects twig projects for the winter Uh, flowers everything and then out of nowhere our professor was like oh last minute we're doing spring birds i was like oh my god really like i've already had to learn all these family names for reptiles and amphibians and flowers and things can we do anything else so anyway um he advised us to get a because we had to know calls too which was also very stressful so he's like take get this app it's called bird jam and basically what you do is you just play it and it sends you a thing and then you have to guess um what the what the bird was and that's how i learned the call so well but what sparked the birds is we went out birding one day um kind of just lazily like with the class he was going to like point out calls and stuff like that and he said guys right over there on the ridge line i say ridge line not that there are ridge lines where we are, but I was in West Virginia. And he said, right over there on the ridge line, there's a pileated woodpecker. And he said, um, I want you to, to look and see if you can find it. I couldn't find it. He's like, well, let's see if we can call it in. Does anybody have their phone on them? I was like, oh, I do. Now I know this is a complete no-no with the exceptions of owls <laughs> for, for most birders. But I started playing the pileated woodpecker call. 
And the pileated woodpecker came over and landed probably 30 yards from us. I was laying on a bank and it landed right there. And like, I was just like, I can, I can do that. Like <laughs> realized later I wasn't supposed, it's not, you, not that you can't do it. It's just kind of sort of frowned upon. But when that bird came over, I was like, oh my gosh. And then I realized like how pretty that bird was and how cool they were. And then we, we started to pish. We practiced that for smaller birds. And when I pished in, my first bird was a Carolina wren. I, that was it. Hooked. I was done. Aww. I was done. I was history for me. Like I, there was no going back after that. And I'm a hobby jumper <laughs> in my personal <laughs> life. So my wife just assumed this was just going to be another hobby jumper thing. She's <laughs> like, here he goes with his wood carving or his whatever he's doing next. And she's like, this is the only thing that's truly stuck for you. <laughs> she's like, so that's pretty cool. So yeah, it was, it, it's bad now. When you'll take your entire family like 80 miles to go see a bird, it's bad. <laughs> Did you want to explain what pishing is? Oh, so pishing is basically an <laughs> easy way to get birds worked up. Um, it only really works if the birds don't know where you are or that you're there. So basically what you have to do is you have to be pretty stealthy and quiet as you move in. Uh, it's usually designed for small songbirds. And what you do is you kind of go in. If you're in a thick area where you can't really see birds or you know they're there or in the brush and you want them to come out all you have to do is go up and you kind of just start what's called pishing and it sounds just like it would it's gonna sound here in a second you just kind of go and the birds usually will take that as a either a sign of aggression or another bird kind of sending out a warning signal so they're going to come and investigate so they pop up on a branch or shoot up out of wherever they are and usually the birds that tend to be the toughest or the most aggressive, i.e. wrens, <laughs> who are very rarely afraid of almost nothing, uh, they'll come out and they'll kind of investigate and see what you're doing. Some birds, you can push them real close, like kinglets and things like that. They'll come w right up in on you. Chickadees will do it too. Uh, they just want to investigate and know what's going on. So it's a pretty easy trick to do and use. So that pileated woodpecker was also one of my spark birds. In birding, we refer to a spark bird as the bird that like hooked you for good. Mm -hmm. And it, for me, it was that pileated woodpecker, man. That was it. That's so. so cool. What about you? Was that Kestrel your spark bird? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Do you have one, Melissa? It's probably nope. having a bald eagle <laughs> latch onto your right. arm. <laughs> That's what I, did it for you. <laughs> it's so hard because, like, my experience with birds is so different than most people who, mm -hmm. like, birds mm -hmm. so like I said I grew up and I wasn't really into it and then working at back to the wild I like really grew a love for that aspect of it like I said it's not exactly birding but like appreciating birds and what affects them and why you should protect them like when I go out I I don't go like Mike does so I'm not going out like specifically looking for a bird or like trying to call in or see how many I can get it's just I'm happy whenever I come across something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Type of thing. You, you always want to so beat yeah, me anyway. So you always try to be like, oh, saw it first. Saw it before Mike did. Heck yeah. yeah. <laughs> if it's competition, then I'm in. So it's like, always a competition yeah. with you too. So it's, Was yeah. it like, was your dad always a birder? Did it happen later in his life? No, he, I mean, literally they used to drag us to McGee every <laughs> Mother's Day. And whenever we would go places, like, I mean, he's like birding. He's definitely got into it more as he's gotten older. And obviously he has more time now that my sister and I don't live 
at home, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's more helpful. Um, but yeah, they, my mom and my dad both like birding and I'm just like, okay. <laughs> I do like looking at ducks. Ducks are fun. Ducks are pretty. I like, I've grown an addiction to like looking at large numbers of ducks and picking out the odd or like the different species bird. It's weird. Mm-hmm. I'll stand out there for like two hours. <laughs> Rachel texts me, my wife, me, you ever coming home? Yeah, I'm coming. <laughs> um, so for me, birding is like, you ever seen that episode of Saturday night live where with the cowbell, like I need more cowbell. Nope. Ding, mm-hmm. ding, ding, ding. <laughs> for me, that's what it is. I need more birds. Ding. Dink, dink. <laughs> like, I, I'm it's like you have a fever, and the only prescription is birding. That's <laughs> exactly it. <laughs> like your passion for birding is always so inspiring. Like it is. most people don't find that thing that they they love. That they, I mean, you do it all day at work, and then you go home and you force your family to do it. Yes. and then you wake up and you birding and you come to work in your birdie <laughs> now i'm gonna be honest with you i can almost hook anybody and here's why is because and i think i learned this from a naturalist that i worked around um in west virginia and he always said like if your passion if you show people like hey that passion for whatever it is birding you know wood carving whatever it is He's like, they're going to be like, oh my gosh, I can be like that person. And then they're going to like get hooked on it. My wife mm-hmm. is hooked, hooked. That's awesome. She texts me like four times a day. What's this at the feeder? She's learning how to um, <laughs> scope with her phone through her binoculars. Nice. And, I mean, it's hard. It really is hard. And I mean, you got to have a good phone too. But like she every day is like a new, like she's sending me this, this. I don't think this is anything, but I want to make sure like, and like now she's like asking me to leave the field guides by the window and not take them with me to places because she's like, I need to see if that's what I'm looking at. I need to know. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not the only one that is addicted to birds. I think Cheryl is too. Like I do there's not too many that. times where I can't be like, Cheryl, Hey, guess what's right down the road. <laughs> like I remember a few times last year, we'd be like the, the Ross's goose. We both like hopped in the car mm-hmm. and drove down the road to see the Ross's goose. And you with that snowy owl, Melissa, uh, like I, ironically, I was out looking for short eared owls that morning. And like, I'm driving, I was heading back towards the office from Mason road. And I was like, she sent me a picture of a trash bag jerk, <laughs> which is what a lot of people, think they see out in the fields but it was a snowy owl and i was very thankful for it <laughs> she texted me back what'd you say it's like it's a snowy owl you, it's a snowy dummy. like what are you doing <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like oh it's not a garbage bag although i would probably text you a picture of a trash bag <laughs> and then send me out yeah. looking for it yeah <laughs> just for fun but no, it was a snowy, and I i mean, I sent you an address with it, so I guess I should have probably said that, hey, there's a snowy at this address, but I thought picture plus address probably meant, hey, you should just go here. <laughs> <laughs> it, it truly is an addiction, though, um, and like a real, I, I think it, it could be classified as a real addiction, because I will drop, I mean, I have a 50-mile rule just because I have little still, but once they're old enough, like, one, to just sit in the car and go or stay at home. I mean, we're talking 150 miles, 200 miles max. Ooh, 
Yeah, going real far for birds. Um, my wife, like I said, I got her hooked real bad, and it started like you do, Melissa, with the she liked the the the, the birds of prey and owls. She still likes owls a lot, uh, but now she's really gotten into like how like she just my wife doesn't like to be wrong. Which I don't think anybody truly likes to be I wrong, feel, yeah. but yeah, like sure. she really doesn't like to be. So like she's always like trying to make sure she's exactly right before she sends me what she sees. So I'm still waiting for her to say, "Oh, there's evening gross beaks at the feeder." Um, <laughs> I'm waiting cause too because then we're all leaving immediately. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, one th- kind of statistic that I looked up was how how many people in you know North America really are affected by birding. Take a, take a number guess. Oh, gosh. I don't know. Like are active birders. I feel like it's really high, like 80%. Give me a number like in the millions. How many people are there in the United States? That, that like we're... <laughs> <laughs> I don't take 80% know. 80% of that. <laughs> I talk in percentages, not numbers. <laughs> so 45 million Americans are wow. like active birders, not just like... You walk by, oh, there's that bird or that bird. Like, I'm talking, like, own binoculars, birding, feeders, et cetera. Like, oh, that's a lot of people that are, I mean, we're also super lucky that we live where we live because yeah. I think that helps, too. Yeah. Like, if you live out in the middle of nowhere, you know, obviously you're going to have some birds, but, like, you're not going to have the variation that we get here. We get so many really cool birds between shorebird migration, warblers. I mean, we're... we're 20 minutes, 30 minutes from the warbler capital of the world. It's, just, mm-hmm. it's awesome. It's amazing. Um, and a lot We're of- also in a couple different flyways. Yeah. And yeah. like, you know, a 20 mile an hour wind gust from east <laughs> or west will bring you yeah. something different. You never, you never know yeah. what you'll see. And a lot of birds stop over because we have Lake Erie yeah. up here. So this is a good resting spot for them. And they get trapped in the bays and the McGee and places like that. They're all fantastic. Mm -hmm. So when do you think as a, when do you think it goes too far for a birder? And I'll explain where I think it goes too far or where I realized that I had a problem. (laughs) Okay. You go first. Cause I want to know Mike, what your, yeah. What you think it is too far. So I think with birding, it progresses. So what happens is you you go you you start off with like feeders in your backyard or um just casual birding or you're like oh what's that oh that's pretty like, yeah. what's that oh that's a different bird today that I've seen then it kind of starts like that then you get your you know you get a good set of binoculars or just any set of binoculars then you get a field guide and then you get an eBird account you get an eBird account then you start logging your birds then it starts to get competitive because you, on eBird, they keep a tally <laughs> through the county of, you know, the birders who have the most birds in that county and then by state and then by uh, the country, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so once you have your eBird account, I'm third right now currently in the county, oh. which I won't beat Dan. It's just not possible. <laughs> he's just, he's, just, uh, he's an immaculate birder. Um and then you get Dan it, is the president of our local Audubon. He, um, what is it? Firelands uh, Audubon Society. Yeah. Just so yeah. our listeners know who he is. <laughs> and then you do you start doing things like nest watch, and then feeder watch, and then um, 
you go a little bit deeper, caterpillar count, which is specifically designed for birds to tell how much food's available for birds. That was a new one. Uh, these are all citizen science projects, um, which eBird basically is a giant citizen science project mm-hmm. um, to count birds continuously throughout the year. And then what, where, where I think that that threshold gets pushed <laughs> is when you start doing Christmas bird counts. That's where I think you, you know that it's over for you and there's no going back with birds because I've been in, I've compiled for Christmas bird counts, which can be stressful, which means like I'm tallying all the tallies that other people are doing. Um, I've done uh, Maryland, West Virginia, Pennsylvania. um, Oh my gosh, Kentucky. And I think I did one in Virginia once or like right on the line of Virginia, Maryland, it kind of overlapped, but these Christmas bird counts are in some ways insane because it's, like cold temperatures, snowing, raining, whatever it is, mm-hmm. these people are out counting birds for one continuous day, 24-hour stretch. So I get up at about 2 in the morning, <laughs> and I go out and I start. Well, I get ready. I grab all my equipment, and my binoculars, my spotting scope, everything, and I go out, and then I start to owl. So I'll call for screech owls and barred owls and hope that I can get a great horned or so, and then... I spend the rest of the entire day birding, like walking or driving, depending on where, wherever I'm at, mm-hmm. whatever circle I'm in or, you know, area. And then I go back to owling at night in a different location. So it's almost a continuous 24 hours. But I do this with the exception of this year will be the first time I don't do multiple um, bird counts just mm-hmm. because of uh, the vid. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh or the Rona, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so, and then I like would bounce around from different ones. Mm-hmm. The most I've done in a year was four. I did one in Wheeling, West Virginia, where I compiled. And then I went to one in Pennsylvania the next day and then came back to here. This was two years ago and did this one. Oh my. <laughs> here for this one. And my wife was like, I haven't seen you for three days and you look tired. I was like, I know. I, I know. Am. <laughs> I'm all right. So. I haven't slept in three days. But I also think like Christmas bird counts can be like something great for families to do. Like, Absolutely. Like you said, it's a one day thing. So you don't have to be crazy like Mike and get up at 2 a.m. Like and you, you don't, can go out for two hours and, and you, you will yeah, be fine. <laughs> you don't have to count all day. And it's super easy to help too. Um, they're not looking for, you know, the world's best birders that day. They're looking for, for people just to get an accurate count of numbers. There are so many circles throughout, you know, this region, even just Ohio mm-hmm. that, that are undercounted. You know, we're lucky that we have uh, a good area and we have a lot of birders here to help. But I've been in places in West Virginia where it's been like me and two other people counting a circle. And we're talking from the center of that circle. It's a 15 mile radius around that circle. So for us to cover that much territory is really tough. Yeah, that would be hard. So, you know, ideally you want 20, 30 people counting birds but you know not everybody's got the time and it's and it's a tight window too you know we i think it starts december right around the second week in december and runs till mid-january and and you know when it rains and gets cold and nobody wants to be out in the cold wet rain except if your name is mike well yeah but (laughs) i do it for science (laughs) so do you i do i really do I i honestly like for me, um, just from my education and everything, like birds tell us a lot 
um, not just with their beauty and everything and, you know, their natural history, but, you know, they can tell us a lot about the weather and climate and things like that. Mm -hmm. So especially mm -hmm. when we start to see new ones that don't belong here normally. So true. Once you, yeah, that's my opinion. Once you hit the Christmas bird count threshold, you're done. There's no turning back for you. Like you <laughs> See, still have I would a, think that'd be like one of the first things people would get involved in. Uh, you you know, you, I mean, I could be wrong too. Or maybe it's different when you organize it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Versus just participating. Yeah. 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 Organizing it is very, very time consuming. And like, depending on, I guess, who the regional compiler is, who the, like the state compiler is, you got to fill out reports and especially if people see a rare bird and then your credibility comes into count. And, mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. Yeah. But anyway, so don't be afraid to ask, uh, to help if you hear this and you decide, Hey, I think I could be helpful or you could count in your backyard. They're always looking for people to count at feeders at home too. Mm -hmm. Like if you're in the circle and you got a feeder, it's a great place to count. Um, so a warm cup of coffee in your recliner. Oh yeah. And Cheryl, looking out the Cheryl's window. Dream. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I'll burn. No problem. <laughs> well, and even at your, your feeder, you can see, you know, rare birds every once in a while. Like I usually only see pine siskins, um, in like in pines usually. And just yesterday when I was doing the feeder watch for us, I had two hit the ground and nice. kind of feed around. So that was, that was nice. And then, what was it two years ago with the black and white warbler yeah yeah that was that one was cool that, that was pretty cool yeah if i don't get a red pole this year at one of these feeders i'm gonna be very upset <laughs> everybody else around us is getting them everywhere and like i just can't get none to stick they fly over but they're not hitting feeders that and evening gross beaks yeah i mean oh me and cheryl were talking about yeah. this yes monday <laughs> what birds do when they fly over and decide it's a good place to stop and eat in my mind, I picture a group of five to ten evening grosbeaks flying over, and somebody in the group goes, I'm just hungry. Let's just stop somewhere. And they stop in somebody's backyard, and they're like, finally, it's somewhere to eat. Even though it's not a good place for cover, not a good place to hide if there's a predator, they just get frustrated enough that they're hungry. Because my backyard is the perfect place. <laughs> perfect. That's probably why they don't want to stop. <laughs> yeah. They know I'm there. They know. Yeah. They know. They're like, it's too perfect. <laughs> it's too perfect. <laughs> so in your opinion, Melissa, what do you think, what do you think is the point of no return for a birder? Um, I mean, I have several theories. <laughs> one, one for sure is when you start dropping everything and looking at eBird and rushing off to wherever something was spotted. Yeah. I think that's cheating. Check one. For Mike. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I think Ebert is fantastic. And we've had this conversation before about like, you know, where to find things and who's seen stuff and whatever. But then when you start getting to the point of you're, you're stalking Ebert and you're going out just to get a photo of something or just to check it off of your list and you're not actually finding it. Sometimes I think to me that takes out the joy of birding because you're just, you're just following a list of, okay, somebody else saw it, so I'm going to go get it. So I get it. Mm -hmm. But you didn't really get it. Yeah, <laughs> somebody else got it. Yeah. Right. So, so yeah, I have a love-hate relationship with eBird. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> but I also think if you decide to do a big year, whether it's county or 
worldwide, statewide, lower 48, whatever you want to do. Yeah, you have a problem. That's a, I'm 2021. <laughs> I'm going for a county. Yeah. Me and Rachel, Go we, you. we've talked I mean, for a few, a few weeks about it. And she's like, I'm fine with it. Sweet. That's what I'm doing. I'm going to, I mean, I got a big number to beat, but. What's the number? Do. I think Dan's got like, he might even be at 300 at this point. It's got to be up there, but he's two, two eighty, two eighty or two ninety somewhere in there. And this year, I've had what two twenty, two fifteen, two twenty somewhere in there. But that's a lot. I did. I you know when we hit, you know when when we got busy with editing and stuff like that, I basically dropped off the map from. I want to say. June, the beginning of June until. You know, shorebird migration picked up mm. at the end of August, so I did. Well, I did you also log. switched to moths. <laughs> you did that. I do. Yeah. That I do. <laughs> I did. Yeah, pretty much all all summer long as moths. Yeah, I did forget about that, but but yeah. So next year I'm gonna, which probably this year probably would have been the best year to do it, considering the eruptions that we've had. Yeah, but you had no idea though. Oh coming. yeah, you didn't know they were you coming. You never know. Yeah, right. so. it's very rare that you get a back to back eruption. So. Anyway, uh, on to the next thing. Oh, no, Cheryl, sorry. I apologize. Oh, when do you think it goes? Well, you guys pretty much covered it. <laughs> <laughs> I just, when you, just like Melissa said, when you drop everything that you're doing because you see, you know, somebody saw like a rare bird or something like that, you just drop everything and go. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like the brown-footed booby that I went and saw? Yeah. That is a real bird, everyone, by the way. <laughs> It's not a made up for, so yeah, that one was good. Oh, I, I remember I'll tell Melissa, hey, uh, oh my gosh, guys, I'll spin around in my chair like Charlie says, I'm like, hey, guess what birds wear? And Melissa's like, I'm surprised you're still here. Yeah, yeah, why are you still here? You're talking, like, see you later. So, so yeah, and Let then know when you get it, yeah, but when you, but when you do those big years and things like that, like if you did one, like across the country i don't know like that that's a lot countywide i feel like that's not that's not too hard because you're limited on where you can go yeah you'll find out next year yeah um but with a, a big year for for a, a country now let's go back on what a big year is basically your goal is to count um as many birds as you can and when i say as many birds as many species as you can throughout the United States or throughout North America or whatever it is, um, your goal is to, and people are like, we're talking like seven, 800 species, um, somewhere in that range is usually what those people tend to get. And to do that one money, <laughs> you yeah. need a lot of money, mm -hmm. uh, or just, you know, be okay with losing a lot of it. Uh, and two, you need time and you need to know, you need to have a plan. You can't just, I would never just me right now would never do a big year for out a country. Even if I won a million dollars tomorrow, I wouldn't do it because I would, I would have to like strategically plan out where I was going mm -hmm. that I knew species were going to be. And then there are things like Melissa said, you can't plan for like eruptions and fallouts and uh, big storms and things that push birds out of the air. And those things you just kind of have to watch. Those are going to happen. But yeah, I would, I would, that's a retirement plan for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah. Um, so I think me moving to Ohio made it worse for me. 
than it was before. Yeah, absolutely. Probably. If you move here and you even have the slightest, I like birds, you're done. You're done. Probably the same thing. Yeah. And I mean, every around here, it's not hard to find a group that loves to go birding Mm -hmm. and it's not hard to find the like, what would you call them? Professional birders. I mean, most of the, yeah, like most of our professional competitive birders live here like, because <laughs> yeah. it is good. And um, you can go to McGee and you can meet some of the or Black Swamp Bird Observatory and meet people who write actual field guides and learn so much not having to go very far from home. Yeah, so yeah. true. I, and I think the fascinating thing about birding is it's not it's not inclusive in my opinion. I mean, obviously you have your groups of people that you prefer to bird around or prefer to be around because they're more like you. Uh, but everyone that I've met, there's like, we're talking like school teachers to contractors, to doctors, to lawyers, like the, it's everyone. Yeah. It yeah. is. So you mean it is inclusive? You said yeah. not. Oh inclusive. my gosh, did I? Okay. Look at me. Yeah. Look at me. <laughs> I was like, where are we going with this? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh my gosh. Just take out the word not. I apologize. It is. But yeah, like, birding is very inclusive is. and you don't have to be even mobile. I mean, like we were talking about earlier, you can be a birder from your window at your bird feeders or just uh-huh. looking out if yeah. you have, you know, brush in your backyard you'll find something or I mean my favorite birding birding by car down the highway when you're looking for all the fun hawks as they come migrating okay but for me that's not good because like my wife doesn't really enjoy driving that much so I'm driving (laughs) and now I've gotten her hooked bad enough to where it's like oh what's that and then I completely take my eyes off the road yeah don't do don't no don't Don't do what Mike does Well, Mike, do you remember last year we were on our way back from um, the natural from Lima? Yeah, from right Lima, before Lima. the virus, like everything got shut down to like a month before. Yeah, and we were driving down the highway, and I'm looking out the Mike is driving. I'm looking out the window, and I see this white blob, and it has like a particular flight pattern, <laughs> and I'm like, Nah, it can't be a snowy. So I just let it go. For a minute, and then <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say anything. And then I'm like, Mike, I think, <laughs> I think we just passed a snowy. And he's like, What? What? Why'd you wait till now to tell <laughs> I know. me? I'm like, I don't know. And then it, uh, you found out later that there was a snowy spotted around that area. Uh, two where days later, saw, yeah, like within like a three to five mile radius of the road, like the highway, <laughs> there was a snowy, and I'm like, so. Because I, I saw it for like a brief second. And then Cheryl goes, oh, that was flapping weird. And then just stopped talking about it. And then yeah. like a few minutes later, I guess it like the the trigger went off and her brain's like, oh my gosh, that's, I saw like, like uh, I saw a snowy. <laughs> like, I think that was. So when I, lesson learned, when you're driving with Mike. Stop. Just, just say it. Just say it immediately. Say Even it. if you're wrong, I'm okay with that. I'm okay see, with but that. I think it's more fun to not tell you and then go, oh, yeah, <laughs> didn't you see that snowy? <laughs> if you said that, that's a turnaround. Like, I, like we were going 80 we miles per hour first off down the road. Well, 70. It was 70. We're going 70. Not going 80 miles an hour. <laughs> we were going 70 miles per hour down the road, and it's like, okay, I'm going to get off this exit. I don't know where we are. We have to get turned around. Like, it, and I was like, Mike, Mike, it's gone. <laughs> it's gone. We're not going to find it. <laughs> 
been a wasted <laughs> afternoon. But I mean, it's just it's just something about it. Like for me, is like it's almost like hunting, but you're not like killing the bird or killing the the animal. It's just like you're you're in a constant search for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like yes, I still get excited. Like some people don't get excited about you know the same birds that they see all the time or whatever. But I do a like I keep a pretty detailed journal of when I see birds to like keep a track over the years of like, okay, I saw that in this habitat around this time, almost like phonology kind of sort of thing. You know, there are some exceptions to uh, a few other things. Like I don't always uh, log like every house sparrow I see or Mm -hmm. starling. So, but yeah, so I don't know. I love birds and I love what I think probably my favorite thing about birding is, is I promise you, if you go out with me, I can get you hooked quick. No doubt. Does not. I have no doubt in my mind that I can get you hooked. I, if you ever were ever able to take people out into the public again, <laughs> which I hope happens. <laughs> it like, will happen one day. Uh, I, I will definitely, I look forward to taking people birding and, you know, getting well, them hooked. You can yeah. hear your passion about birding in this podcast. <laughs> like you don't yeah. even have to see him. <sighs> like you can hear it. <laughs> well, and, and then there's always, I always appreciate, um, I don't know every single bird the second I hear it, the second I see it, the second it chips. Uh, I, I still double take and double question myself all the time. Mm-hmm. I say, I'll even text you guys like, oh, I think I saw this or I'll take a picture of something like, what does this look like to you guys? One, because like I said, I don't like to be wrong, but I also want confirmation from other people who mm-hmm. like know too. So it's, it's, it's comforting to know that you guys are also helping me with my addiction (laughs) we will enable you anyway yes yeah but i i mean just overall birding if you if you've never tried it or you've ever been curious and wanted to try it i promise you um it has many many rewards not only does it like melissa said like sitting at your back you know window or your front door whatever like that stuff's awesome and it gives you a connection to your, your the land and your property and, and things around you and outside. But even just going and taking a walk and like casually watching birds, mm-hmm. it's not even, yeah. Once you hit one of those peak migration days though, and like every turn your head does is a bird. Like, What's that? It's yeah. so What's exciting. That? What's that? Yeah. So that's where you get overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I hate that. I'm like, yeah. dang, they're all yellow. They all sound the same. They're yeah. little. Stop moving. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, but, so but that, if you are local to the Sandusky area, another good place, especially for ducks, y'all know, I like ducks now. Um, the Castelia duck pond is fantastic, especially, so we just had a big snow yesterday and the duck pond is loaded and nice. that's one of my favorite places to Bye, go. Mike. And Mike's probably going to go there now <laughs> that I said this. <laughs> well, tell them why it's so, um, so good. It's always open. So it's a spring fed water system. And so it never freezes. So you're going to see tundras and trumpeter swans. There's always geese. You never know what kind of waterfowl you're going to spot. But and there's a bunch of them and they're all kind of in the same area. So you you can just like park your car and hang out there for a while and see you know things fly in. I think it's a great place to learn like flight patterns because you'll see them fly in and out. and you're close enough that you can actually like tell what they are instead of just seeing the flight pattern and then trying to figure out what bird it is. So if you're a duck hunter and you're listening to this and you need to learn birds in flight, this is an excellent place to do it. It is just saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there are 
like Melissa said, that's one great place. There are tons of great places throughout the county. The entire bay, uh, Pipe Creek when it's open, Old Woman Creek, uh, you know, any of our parks that are bayfront, even Edison Woods. I mean, there are tons of places to bird here. Yep. And there's no shortage. And your backyard's a good spot, too. So I have friends in Sandusky that, that get warblers, like, in downtown Sandusky. Like, when the when the peak migration's coming through, like, that that's... That's unheard of in some other places. Mm-hmm. Like, this is going to happen mm-hmm. in a lot of places. So so don't be shy. All right. Now it is time for the... <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh. The news article. <laughs> All right. So by now, I don't know if you two have heard about the saw wet owl that was in the Rockefeller Christmas tree. I did hear about that. Yeah. So... This isn't as much of a funny one because it's kind of sad what happened to the bird because the first year bird, uh, there's like some thoughts in my brain that are trying to like, when I read the article that I'm going to share with you guys in a second, like in my mind, like when they cut down the tree, how did the bird manage to stay? I guess that's where my confusion is. is Yeah. It's probably just scared and stressed out. That's the only thing that can go through my mind. I mean, it fell over. Like how? Yeah. How did or, they, yeah, I don't get it. Or it either. hopped into the tree like later is my thought because what they do, actually, I got to see the Rockefeller Christmas tree like as it was being shipped one time at the last place I worked. It was really cool. They had like parked overnight in the parking lot. It was really cool. And like, I mean, we're talking like a big, gigantic, like 30 foot truck just hauling this tree down the road. Mm-hmm. Like, my thought was like, okay, maybe the bird hopped in later and was just like hiding out. I didn't know. Maybe. So what the article that I came across, though, I get most of my uh, funny articles and things from live science. But this one was uh, the tiny owl that was found hiding in the Rockefeller Christmas tree isn't going home. And I was like, oh, well, that's sad. Yeah. So they weren't going to take it back to where the tree was from. So a rehab facility in New York took it and they said basically – a little bit about solid owls is with the exception of when they're breeding, they don't really, they're kind of nomads. They kind of fly around everywhere, uh, which are most owls. Uh, they don't really have a permanent home and they're in their migration. So the reason why they didn't want to release it where the tree was cut down was because it would might it not. Just, yeah. Would it just backtrack? Yeah, it could just backtrack yeah. or, and they're not going to release it in New York because it's just not, I mean, with the exception of like upper New York, there's not a lot of places that saw what owls are like hanging out for long periods of time. So I was curious, the reason I chose this article is because Melissa has, Melissa and Cheryl both have some rehab um, stuff. What what do you think should have been done? Because I think what's going to wind up happening is they're going to wind up keeping, keeping that owl. Wasn't like, it released? Oh, wait. Well, this article's old. That's why. Uh, it I might thought have it was. It I wasn't. could be wrong. Or it was ready for release. I swear I saw something like two days ago that said it was either being released or ready for release. Do you think And honestly, would've... okay, so choosing where to release an animal yeah. is hard, um, especially something like a saltwet. Usually that decision is left up to U.S. Fish and Wildlife. Okay. Um, and not always, but most of the time, especially with a case like this, that's probably who they would have contacted mm-hmm. and that would have been their decision. And there, like I said, there's not like a right 
answer. Mm -hmm. You don't know what the bird is going to do. You don't know if it's going to survive in the habitat that you release it in. Um, The best that you can do is just get it up to good health and then release it in an ideal habitat and hope for the best. Yeah. I mean, I I mean, in my mind, if the guy who found it, like was just kind of blown away. He'd never seen an owl up Mm -hmm. that close before. And the fact that he was able to reach in and grab it was just like, what? Yeah. (laughs) So obviously it was scared and stressed out, but that gives me a little bit of comfort that know that it'll probably be fine. Mm -hmm. Especially, you know, if it's not kept for too long. Well, and birds like that, they're used to, like, they do migrate long distances mm-hmm. for the most part. So yeah. they are used to changing habitat. They are used to searching for food wherever they can find it. So as long as they're in good health and they can do that, they're usually fine. It's not, they're not like a box turtle that can't go a mile from their home and <laughs> walk forever to get home. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think they were also amazed when the guy brought it in at how responsive and like healthy the owl was. Like, Cause it, like I said, like we talked about a few seconds ago, like with the tree falling down and everything, I, I imagine that there's some damage done to this owl, you know, broken wing or something, you know, stress, whatever it is, you know, could potentially harm that owl. But mm-hmm. it's a good, I guess, good news, I it guess. It's good news. Mm-hmm. We saved the owl. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always forget that that one's super long. you just keep clapping for like an hour all right so that's our bird nerds episode happy birding everybody get out and bird i promise you it's super rewarding and you won't regret it have a good one everybody bye